Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. This morning, as Chris read for us, we're looking at a passage on temptation. Jesus facing it, but it's about us facing it as well, and either giving into it or taking victory over temptation. There were uh, four pastors who were on a pastor's retreat, and they had a break-off time, and the theme for the weekend was temptation. So the first, tempta- the first pastor rather admitted that he was dealing with the temptation around the Internet, and he was going into sites that he just knew he should not be looking at. So the second pastor said, well, I'm struggling as well. And he said, I'm struggling with gambling. And so far I've been able to keep it secret, but I've lost a lot of money. And the third pastor said, I need to confess. He said, I'm into alcohol. And I'm becoming an alcoholic, and I don't know how I'm going to overcome this temptation. It's very strong in my life. And the fourth pastor said, brothers, I hate to break this to you, but my temptation is worse than all of yours. I love to gossip, so if you'll excuse me, I have some phone calls to make. (laughs) Careful who you talk to. And we often say, I can resist anything but temptation. But we know it's no joke when we're facing temptation and we're trying not to be conquered by it. So this is one of those Sundays where I wish I could just say, oh, I have some nice, easy answers, and I'll give them to you, and we can all go home comfortable. Really, it is not. I don't have the easy answers around temptation. Ogden Nash said that there's only one way to achieve happiness in this world. He said, either have a clear conscience or don't have a conscience at all. But we do have a conscience, and it's the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us. So from this passage in Matthew, and it's found also in Mark and in Luke's Gospels, it's beautiful what Jesus modeled for us. However, we can read this as something that just happened to Jesus, and Jesus was able to overcome And we cannot let it affect us deeply at all this morning. Or we can learn from it, and we can let it change our lives. And I believe that God takes these things very, very seriously when we face temptation. Our walk with him, uh, living what we say we believe, it is so very important. If you get into the Old Testament, and I've been doing that some recently, and you hear how, unfortunately, God had to use such extreme measures to get his people's attention and to draw them back to him because of what they were doing and make them realize. He takes it very seriously to the point that he had to send his only son, that Jesus would give his life, that we would be forgiven for those things that we have done in life and our regrets, our sins were taken to the cross. And Jesus forgave us there. We have forgiveness. We we are set free from that. But it doesn't mean for a minute, and Paul cautions us in another uh, one of his letters, he says, it's not that we can do as we please now. Yes, we're forgiven by the cross, but we cannot do as we please. We face temptation day and day, day by day, but we need to be taking victory over it. It is still a serious matter. However, I'll try not to be too, too heavy in this message this morning. Let's look at the passage of Scripture and let God speak to us. So take one moment with me to pray one more time, if you would. God, I need you to put me behind the cross. I need you to diminish me. 
If there's any temptation that has overcome me, Lord, forgive that I might be able to be a vessel. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would just move in and amongst us this morning, that we can't miss the message that you want to say to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first four chapters of the book of Matthew have been called the preparation for Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's difficult to think of Jesus having to be prepared, but he was being prepared for ministry. And last week we talked about his baptism, how he walked into that river Jordan and asked John to baptize him. Jesus was sinless, but he went to John, and when he was baptized and came back up out of the water, the heavens opened, and uh, the Spirit in the form of a dove came, and then that voice, God's voice, went out of heaven saying, this is my son. He brings me joy. I love him. And immediately after that, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, more preparation for his ministry. Well, what did that, that wilderness look like? Much more severe than maybe what our imaginations would take us to. It was an area about 56 by 24 kilometers. It was all yellow sand. It was crumbling limestone, and it was scattered shingle. And the description that is given by Barclay, I want to quote it. He said, the hills are like dust heaps. The limestone is blistered and peeling. The rocks are bare and jagged. Often the very ground sounds hollow when you walk on it. It. it glows and shimmers with heat like some vast furnace. In that wilderness, Jesus could be more alone than anywhere else in Palestine. End of quote. And what was the temptation of Jesus all about? Well, again, turning to Barclay, to us, in the English, the word temptation or to be tempted almost always has that negative meaning to entice someone to do something wrong. But the Greek word for tempt, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, it leans more towards test, to test someone or to test something before metal can be used. It has to be tested beyond any stress or strain that it's going to be put under. And Vernon McGee recalls as a boy, uh, a railway bridge was washed out in his small town, and a new railway bridge was being constructed. And they worked on it for a long time. And one day, he said, they brought in two engines, and they, they stopped them right in the middle of the bridge. And one brave citizen went over and asked the engineer in charge and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're testing the bridge. And he said, well, are you trying to break it down? And the engineer almost sneered when he replied, and he said, of course not. We're testing it to prove that it cannot be broken down. Richard Foster gives some explanation to temptation and testing. He says that God tests us to strengthen us, strengthen our moral character. Satan tempts us to destroy our moral character. And often, he says, the same set of circumstances can look very similar. Well, I'm going to use the word temptation this morning because Jesus was facing Satan and the temptations. And a couple of reminders. Temptation is not sin. It's when we give in to it. And we need to be assured that Satan is real. He's not just some influence. He wants to break us down. He tried to break Jesus down. He tries to do the same to us. And Satan comes to us through our thoughts and through our desires. His attacks get launched in our minds. 
So we read the first the three temptations that Jesus faced, and the commentaries say that the temptations were much bigger than you and I are ever going to have to face. Quote, the temptations are those that only the Son of God might or could face to misuse the miraculous power that God had given Jesus, misuse them in various selfish and self-protective ways. So that's what Jesus was facing. And in three crucial areas, physical needs and desires, and pride, and possessions and power. So we're going to take them one at a time. For the first one, as Chris read for us, Satan said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, Satan said, remember the baptism, the sky opening. The voice of God saying, this is my son. There's no if. You are the son of God. But what was the temptation that Jesus had to face here? How does Satan think he could break Jesus down? Well, he wanted to take advantage of his hunger, for one thing. Jesus was there in the wilderness. He was tired. He was alone. He was hungry. He was vulnerable. There in the desert, the ground was littered with these round limestone pieces of rock that almost looked exactly like small loaves of bread. It would be like us being so ravenously hungry and somebody puts in front of us what looks like a plate of homemade rolls. Bread's a good thing. Bread satisfies a very natural desire, but Satan was trying to get Jesus to use his powers selfishly and for his own use. And Jesus refused. He knew the timing was all wrong. He knew the way was all wrong. So even though it appeared to be a reasonable thing to do, it was going outside of the will of God for Jesus at that moment. I got permission to share this with you. My daughter often uses the word hangry. I don't know if anybody else uses uh, Okay, I see some nods. It's when you're in an angry mood because you're hungry. And my daughter is just one of these bubbly, upbeat people most of the time. But when she's hungry, not so much. <laughs> and I remember one afternoon we were out shopping and she got hangry. And if I could have found some stones and turned them into bread at that moment, I would have been tempted to do so. But we can't do that. And maybe in this temptation of Jesus, we find it a little bit hard to relate to what he went through. But how does Satan want to break us down? Well, Satan knows when we're tired and hungry and hangry and alone. Isolation is one of his greatest weapons. He knows our addictions. He knows our weaknesses. He knows when we're under physical and emotional stress as well. When we're lonely, when we have big decisions to make, when there are doubts and fears and uncertainties. Maybe we've been put down by someone or rejected. We're discouraged. He also watches for those times after some big events, the mountaintop times in our lives. Jesus had just been baptized. We might just be back from a great conference or a camp. We're on our high and we're trying to get back to reality. Satan knows those opportune times and the circumstances to weaken our resistance to temptation and break us down. We need to be watching and ready for those times. And when we think about bread, we can realize that we live in a culture of I want, a culture that just seems to be continually hungry, and we get caught in that. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. That means give us today just what we need. 
but still so often we're just not satisfied. I could use the example of a car. Maybe you don't have a car, and then all of a sudden you get one. But then you realize, oh, my car is a beater. I need a better car. And you have a small car, and then you want a bigger car. And then you want a car that has all the bells and whistles. And culture and advertisements, they feed us, and that's a pun intended. They feed us with desire for more, and they feed us with a dissatisfaction with what we already have. Immanuel Kant says, give a man everything he desires, and yet at that very moment he will feel that everything is not everything. And it's not just out there in our culture, is it? It's in us as Christians, and we bring it in here into our churches. We want a comfortable sanctuary, looking the way we want it to look. We want music that we want to sing. We want technology that grabs our attention and is working right on the moment perfectly. We want a service that's not too long. We want a sermon that's interesting and comforting and hopefully challenging and convicting, but that's for the person in behind us. And it sometimes doesn't matter what someone else wants. We want the stones turned into bread to satisfy us. And in response to this temptation, Jesus quotes a verse of scripture. It's from Deuteronomy. Jesus tells Satan, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. By every word that comes from God, that God speaks. We need to hear God speaking through reading his word, through prayer, through others. And when we do, Satan's powers are so diminished. He really starts to lose his chances of breaking us down with temptation. Jesus would not let hunger, his desires, his wants, his want-tos, make him do anything that was out of the will of his Father. Will we do the same? Will we really be in prayer? God, give me what you know I need. Make it enough. Show me your will and your timing and help me to live in that. Well, temptation number two came at the temple. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And we hear it again. If you are the Son of God... But at the baptism, the skies had opened, and the voice of God said, This is my son. There was no if. But what was the temptation of Jesus here, and how did Satan think he was going to break Jesus down with this second temptation? This time it was sensationalism, and it was pride. It was taking risks for his own prestige. The temple was the religious center for the Jews, and the people expected the Messiah to come to the temple. That was back in Malachi in their scripture. And the tallest building in the area, the highest point, was probably the corner of a wall that jutted out out of the hillside. So it overlooked uh, the valley below. There was a, an immediate drop of about 138 meters, and Jesus could see all of Jerusalem behind him and the country for miles around him and in front of him. 
And false messiahs had already come, said they were the messiah, and they tried sensational acts, but their, their attempts had failed. Jesus could have done this, and he probably knew that he wouldn't fail. But Jesus would not test God that way. He would not use God as some kind of a magician ready to perform by sending angels just to protect him. And it's interesting here that Satan misquoted scripture. He was quoting out of Psalm 91 about the angels, that the angels will, um, God will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. He left that little part out. And he just used the part where, oh, the angels will protect you physically. A deliberate omission from scripture that even Satan knew. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And again, maybe we can't relate all of that well to this one. Our temptation is not going to be to go to the highest point of Emmanuel and trust that we can jump off and not get hurt. I hope that's not going to happen. But how does Satan break us down with similar temptations in our lives? It's pride. We want sometimes to be the most important. We would never say we want to show off, but how often do we want to be noticed? want to be applauded. Maybe we want to have the most say in something. Make sure we get heard and other voices are silenced so that we can get our own way. Maybe we want some power in areas. Temptation. And often Satan wins. Satan also loves to tempt us through our strengths, even through our God-given gifts because we're susceptible to pride when God has given us the ability to do things. And Satan misquoted scripture, as I mentioned, and how often do we just subtly misquote scripture? Not intentionally, maybe, but we just want to make it fit for our purposes, so we quote part of a verse and grab that out. Or maybe we use scripture to judge someone or to hurt someone with a Bible verse. Satan knows how to break us down. We need to be asking Jesus to help us with those things. And then temptation number three. The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of the world. And he said, I'll give this to you if you'll kneel down and worship me. He seems to have given up on that line, if you are the son of God by this point. But what was the temptation facing Jesus here? How does Satan think that he could break Jesus down with this one? Well, Satan knew that he had temporary control and free reign in this earth because of humanity's sinfulness. So he was saying to Jesus, this is from one of the commentaries, become a political ruler, Jesus. Take the world that way. Compromise a little. Come to terms with the world instead of giving the world the, the strong, hard demands of God. And Jesus was so quick to reply. He used verses out of Deuteronomy. Get out of here, Satan, he said. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I think we can relate a little bit more closer to this third one. Not quite so much of a stretch. It's quite easy for Satan to break us down by tempting us to worship and adore and serve things and people and goals and careers and the important things in our lives. 
Some say that the kingdom is not the devil's to give. But Satan is a spiritual enemy who wants to be God, and we don't have to look very far to see how much control he's got in this world right now. So he tries to entice us with the whole world if we will just worship him and make him first. The scripture tells us, no, we must worship our God and him first and only. And that means we just can't compromise. We must not compromise down to the world's standards. We're supposed to be lifting others up to a higher standard of real life in Christ. Well, it was after this third temptation that Satan left and the angels came and ministered to Jesus. Angels, God's messengers. I believe in angels today. And I believe that when we take the victory in faith and in the name of Jesus, that the angels rejoice and our God smiles with the well done. So to sum it up, just some take-home points that we can reflect on this week as we face temptation. No one was there that day. So Jesus must have told his disciples what he had gone through. And we read in Hebrews that Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced every testing and every temptation that we will be asked to face. So his spirit is with us to help us because he understands. So we need to watch for those times when we're tired and hungry and alone. Isolation is one of Satan's greatest weapons and tools. But I did want to mention Zada Barclay about uh, the wilderness and a two-sided thing. I'm quoting Barclay. He says, it may well be that we often go wrong simply because we never try to be alone. So that's the other side. There are certain things that can only be worked out when we are alone. There are times when no one else's advice is any good. There are times when it becomes necessary to stop acting and doing and start thinking. It may be that we often make mistakes because we do not give ourselves a chance to be alone with God. End of quote. So the two sides of the isolation. Be careful of it, but sometimes we need to seek it. Of course, Satan knows exactly what buttons to push in us. He's not going to tempt me in the same way that he's going to tempt you. He knows how to get to me with my buttons. He knows how to get to you with your buttons. Be aware. Watch for those. And let's not miss the importance of God's word. Jesus used it as his defense. I quote Gordon Fee. He says, why is it that many of us are having trouble living the Christian life. May I say this very kindly, he continues. It is ignorance of the word of God. God has an answer for our problem, and it is in his word. That is the reason we should know the book better than we do. Jesus did not say, well, I think this, or I believe there's a better way of doing it. He said very definitely, the word of God says. End of quote. We're not just to know the word of God, we are to obey it as well. So when we read this passage of scripture, even if we took this one and we studied it and memorized it, we have to not just know it, we have to let scripture change us. Again, as I said earlier, let's not miss the seriousness of all of this. When we've given our hearts to Jesus Christ, 
Our salvation is not going to be at risk when we're defeated by a temptation. And of course we can be restored as we come back to Christ and, and sincerely, sincerely say that we're sorry and turn back to him. But I know I've said it and I say it again, God is serious. Even though we are on this side of the cross, we just can't do as we please. And then just say it quick, oh, sorry about that, God. We have choices. And our choices bring consequences. And our choices and our consequences affect us. They affect our walk and our relationship with God. They affect others. They affect our witness as followers of Jesus Christ. And temptation is not a one-time thing. Jesus had to face it. We don't know how many times, how often. But we do read it that when Peter tried to talk him out of going to the cross, that was a big temptation for Jesus. That night before he was crucified, when he was there in the garden just pleading with God for some other way, but he surrendered to God's will. He lived by God's word. He obeyed it. He resisted temptation by relying on his Father. You know, you and I could face a temptation before we leave this building today. And temptation is going to be a lifetime journey for us with no shortcuts. Like Jesus, our only hope is to live by God's word, obeying it, and resisting temptation through him. Jesus has shown us a way to victory here, and the final victory, of course, over Satan, was won on the cross and through the resurrection. One point to finish that I feel is very important. This is from biblical scholar Craig Evans. He says that Satan tried to misdirect Jesus, misdirect him, misdirect his place on this earth, misdirect the goals that Jesus had been sent to earth to accomplish, misdirect him as God's son. And if successful, if Satan had been able to misdirect Jesus, then that would have rendered Jesus powerless and ineffective. Jesus' mission was to save his people from their sins. And if he couldn't save himself from the temptations of Satan, he wouldn't be able to save his people. He would not have been able to qualify for his role as a Messiah. It's heavy. But Satan tries to do exactly the same to us. He attempts to misdirect our place and our goals as sons and daughters of God, followers of Jesus. He tries to render us powerless and ineffective. See, God has a plan for us. And our choice to give in to temptation and get redirected out of those plans in terrible ways to remain in line with them. So when Jesus resisted temptation, he was able to reaffirm the plans that God had for him. When we resist temptation with the help of the Holy Spirit, we reaffirm the plan that God has for our lives. So what if this morning we got serious? What if we looked at our words and our actions, our responses to temptations, asked the Holy Spirit to help us and strengthen us, genuinely asked for forgiveness, really started taking some victory? We can, and when we do, he gets us right on track and he reaffirms the plan that he has for our lives. And what if, as a church this morning, we got serious? and looked at our words and our actions and how we treat each other and how we work together 
and look at our response together to temptation and ask the Holy Spirit to help us and strengthen us and genuinely ask forgiveness of God and of one another and really started taking victory because we can. And when we do, we can get back on track and reaffirm the plan that God has for us as a church at Emmanuel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you shared what happened to you there in the wilderness. Thank you for what you've shown us. Thank you that you have shown us through this passage of Scripture that we too can have the victory through you, that you understand that you're not going to condemn us when we're tempted, but you're going to strengthen us and help us and show us a way through. So that's our prayer this morning. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.